Uh, if I haven't met you before, I'm Mark, lead pastor, as uh, Robbie introduced a little bit earlier, and it is a real honour to be able to do these stories. So if you are new or visiting, we welcome you today. And it's part of our rhythm as a church that every five or six weeks we have an opportunity to interview and the stories that come from you have been impactful. I hear comments all the time from people saying how encouraged, how challenged they were from hearing stories about what God has done and is doing. And that's what we're going to be doing today. I'm going to introduce you to my lovely couple on to my right, Nick and Ella, in a second. But again, I want to emphasise that this is what a worshipful community does. They tell stories And yes, we hear from Matt and Steve Sim and Bridie and Amy and even myself. We often will be up here preaching, opening God's word. But this is powerful what we do today when we hear personal testimony of what God has done and is doing. And I I love that. And I know that today is going to be one of those significant stories we're going to hear this morning. So enough from me. I'm going to introduce you to my lovely couple. And I love Nick. You were just like me where you sat down and I'm like this whenever I sit on a couch and a cushion is just sort of, they're a bit annoying, aren't they? I don't know about you. There's others that feel like that, but I'm, I've got a cushion in my back. You are there fiddling around with your cushions. I don't know if you, well, you, you and I have been talking a bit lately about uh, watching the ashes and actually we're yeah. not going to talk about that today um, in the tour, but I don't know about you, mate, but cushions don't get much of a mention. They sort of get pushed on the other side of the couch. What do you think about cushions? It's a good starting question, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I didn't expect this one. Um, cushions are great, but they are, I think <laughs> I don't have much control about the cushion situation at home. So I'll just leave that one to Ella. I don't know what your kids are like. We'll talk about your kids, but I know our house, the cushions get ditched pretty quickly onto the, onto the ground. Anyway, we're not going to... Ours are fought over, our cushions. The kids love the cushions. They love they them. fight over them, yeah. Really? Good on you. That's good. Well... That was never in our planning. I've spent a fair bit of time with you guys in your house and I've loved that and we've, got, we've actually bought a little bit of your home here today, which we might talk about a little bit later. But this is your lovely rug from your lounge room and we probably, I've probably spent maybe two hours, maybe a little bit more over the last few months just spending some time with you guys. But we might just, just reverse a little bit. I will introduce, I'd love for you to introduce yourselves and just talk a little bit about where you guys met and your family. Sure. I'm Ella. Um, I grew up in Western Australia, country Western Australia, so three hours south of Perth with uh, a brother, sister and my parents. Um, Our family was quite dysfunctional growing up. My mum and dad had a lot of conflict and suffered with alcohol and drug problems. So my childhood probably wasn't as safe and secure and hopeful as I had envisioned or wanted as a child. Um, But that being said, my parents did the absolute best, even with the mental health struggles that they had. I was really close with my mum being the youngest of three, um, and I often spent a lot of time with her. And it was about at the age of seven that my mum packed me and my sister up. My brother had already moved off to university, and we left the farm, um, and my mum and dad separated. So that went on for most of my childhood. They would get back together, and we would move again um, until then... My late kind of teens, they're when they finally got a divorce. So growing up was, um, in my family, one of quite dysfunction. And I think as a teen, I had a lot of freedom and I didn't have 
much, many boundaries or much family input, so I did uh, rebel a bit and I really sought to find love and security in relationships around me, whether they were friends or partners. Um, Obviously, we didn't grow up knowing Jesus, so I think I was really searching for that love and that hope in other avenues of my life. Um, When I finished high school, I moved as far away from home as I could and um, travelled around Australia a bit and landed in Victoria and eventually found my way to Melbourne um, as a young adult and I eventually got invited along to a church called Bridge Church in Richmond where I gave my life to Jesus for the first service, which was amazing, a Reggie Dabbs um, event and he played his saxophone, he was a junior Reggie Dabbs. He's fantastic. Um, And from there, I just fell in love with Jesus and that place in my heart, that security and that emptiness and that fear and that anxiety and depression I'd suffered with my whole life, kind of growing up with it and then not feeling safe and secure was completely met. And I spent a year interning at that church and young adults and I was surrounded by a community of incredible young adults and found some really beautiful friendships and met... This beautiful man next to me. Yeah, yeah, I am. Yes. <laughs> At the time, I didn't find him so beautiful. He was a little bit annoying and a little bit arrogant, but <laughs> we'll let him tell his side of the story. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I grew up in New Zealand. I was born in New Zealand, so um, a lot of people don't know that. Um, my parents migrated to New Zealand in the 80s. So I grew up there, and um, when I was 13, I sort of moved across to... Australia, and um, I grew up in a stable home, so quite opposite to Ella. Loving parents, um, a big older brother, and she's talking about something. Okay, um, you know, and it was great. And um, we went to church regularly, and obviously, I went I went to church because my parents made me, and I went to church. <laughs> but um, I didn't really have a relationship. But I obviously grew up in the church, which was great um, until. Uh, maybe in my twenties, where I was invited along to Bridge Church from a friend from high school, and yeah, I gave my gave my life to God there, which is pretty cool. Uh, and he's a crier. Be prepared. <laughs> you got this. You got this. So you guys met. Yeah, we met young adults. Yeah, tell yep. us a bit about that. Oh, um, oh, uh, I was the dream woman that he could not get. He had, he had another girlfriend when we met. I think we got some happy snaps from that lovely wedding day too. Yeah, you're pretty pumped. Yeah, that was a special day. Yeah. Um, we, we um, how did we meet? Ella, was, Ella is the, just got my attention because she's the kind of lady that will stalk someone down in a shopping centre <laughs> trying to find a car park and I'll be sitting there trying to wait patiently for the car, to, car park to come. And she'll get out of the car, stalk someone down, stand in the car park, stare everyone else down to move them on, and then I'll pull into the car park. And that's what a, a supportive that's, wife. That's yeah. a supportive wife, right that's there. That got my attention. Yeah. What a team! And you guys uh, got a couple of little legends. Yep. Tell us about them. Brookie and Charlie. So they are two incredible blessings. Brookie is eight, and Charlie is. Five, um, and we got married, had a kid pretty quickly, um, and 
I got quite sick actually and got diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder and I was studying at the time so that was a bit tricky. So we moved to Geelong when we were pregnant with Brookie and we came along to One Hope which was fantastic. We felt at home straight away Um, and then when Brookie was about three, I'm supposed to be talking about my kids aren't I? You are talking about your kids but before that though Mm. I think it's really important that things are going pretty well. You guys Mm. are married. Mm. You've been married for a number of years, you have Brookie, you have Charlie, and then something quite unexpectedly occurs. So Brookie was three or two and a half, and we got pregnant with Charlie. Um, And then my grandfather, who I was very close with my grandparents, when I moved from Western Australia, I came and resided in a country town called Wangaratta, where they lived, and I spent a year with them, and I spent my childhood growing up, coming over every year in school holidays, spending time with them. So they were a real stable part of my life. And my grandma was an incredible, beautiful Christian woman. You would not find a more empathetic, compassionate, amazing human. I think she just embodied Jesus in everything she possibly did. Um, and so my grandpa, we, spent, we got married and we spent time every few months going up and staying with them and really building a relationship with them. I didn't have much of a relationship with my dad at that stage yet. Um, And my grandpa, a very healthy, fit man, all of a sudden got sick and passed away. So that was probably the first time when I was a couple months pregnant and Brookie was a toddler that I'd really experienced grief and I found that really difficult. Um, And I was studying full time and yeah, it was just, it was a really, it's just a really unforeseen time in our lives. And then six or so months later, or it would have been about three months later, my dad was diagnosed with cancer Um, And at this stage, I had built a relationship back with my dad and we were getting along really well. And then a few months after he was diagnosed, so about six months all up, he suddenly passed away from cancer and I was 36 weeks pregnant. So that was really quite traumatic. And I think at that time, I was trying to control situations around me and I found myself in a place of fear again and anxiety and panic that these people that I love and that are part of my life are passing away and I'm not able to do anything about it or see it coming. Um, And then eight months later, so as a period of 18 months, my grandma suddenly had a stroke and died. So that that was really big. My grandma was probably my best friend. I spent, she was my rock. I spent all my time every day on the phone to her and she was my kind of support and person that I went to and had a really beautiful relationship with her. So that was probably the start of, yeah. Yeah. So as mentioned, life was going pretty mm. well and over an 18-month period you lost three people really close mm. to you. Uh, and we're going to d- dive a little bit more into what was going on in you. But for you, Nick, you were observing and, and watching uh, what was happening too and obviously as a husband, uh, what, what was going on in you and how did your upbringing impact what was happening uh, even with Ella? Yeah, um... I mean, it was really hard to, to watch her go through that, um, that losing three people, like, so quickly, um, and also um, being pregnant as well. Um, but, like, it wasn't until... It was sort of the, the after-effects of that sort of came out that, um, I mean, grief is part of life, and we were there to support each other, and that was really important. Um, but, yeah, my... My Christian life was like I didn't really have any tools to deal with any of that. Even I mean, we were young, married, like we were pretty young, and like 
no one, nothing really sets you up for that. Um, and I certainly didn't have any like tools or techniques or anything that I'd been passed down to sort of to help me through those that's that season. It was pretty tough. Yeah, absolutely. So Ella, life then kicks in. You are about to finish uni. Just unpack then what happened, a day in a life mm. for you, young mum, still working, married, friends, what was happening? So yes, after dad passed away, I had Charlie three weeks later and he was named after my dad, which is a beautiful kind of blessing and reminder. Um, I was still studying full time and I was studying midwifery, so there was a lot of clinical placement needed and COVID happened. <laughs> so... We were trying to kind of see how does this work with my degree because I studied through the Northern Territory and needed to fly in and out of Darwin a few times a year to do all my clinical placement Um, and we were trying to figure out how we would do that. So we decided that I would go to Darwin and finish uh, and leave the kids with Nick Um, and I ended up having to go up two weeks earlier than expected because the Northern Territory were closing the borders for... Victoria, because we just continuously had outbreaks of COVID. Um, And I think in this lead up to me having to leave my family, uh, it's when I really started to, I was heightened all the time and I had horrendous anxiety, but I started to have these night wake ups where I would not know where I was. I would be walking down a hallway. I would be having a full blown panic attack. I would be sweating. I would have to run to the bathroom. I felt like I was losing complete control. I had no idea what was going on and I just continued to push through. I went to Darwin and uh, two nights in I got a call at midnight from my husband saying that Charlie was having an asthma attack and he couldn't breathe and so I think from then he was fine but it was just the knowing that I was away. I had no control over protecting my family and things just got really out of control from there. I got home and went into two years of condensed placement full-time in seven months to different hospitals and healthcare settings. And I started to have panic attack after panic attack after panic attack. I would have up to 15 a day of just crippling, horrendous panic in clinical situations or scenarios which were very adrenaline-driven and I had to be focused and very aware of what was going on. Um, I saw a GP pretty quickly and said I just don't understand what was going on. I'd suffered depression and anxiety earlier in life but I'd never suffered anxiety like this before that was really debilitating and it wasn't long after then that I started to have horrendous intrusive thoughts and for those of you that are aware of what an intrusive thought is or those that you aren't, it is an involuntary unwanted thought that is usually the one thing that you don't want to be thinking about. And for me, it was that loss of control of my mind and not knowing when these panic attacks were going to occur. And then that just completely switched into my mind of that I'm not in control and that I could do harm to someone. And it usually was centred around my children, the two beings that I wanted to protect and loved the absolute most in my life. So my daily reality for a good two years was having an intrusive thought every three seconds in the background of my mind, trying medications, trying prayer, seeking counselling, seeking help, going to psychiatrists, um, and honestly getting to the point where I would go to bed at night and say, God, if you don't take this, take me, because this is 
just more than I can possibly bear and I didn't see a way out. I didn't understand how I got there. I was normally a very capable person that had a pretty big capacity and this was just not my reality and my reality was really, really scary. Thanks for sharing so honestly about that period of your life. So you could have easily just bunkered down, took control by staying at home and sort of locking yourself away as such and isolating yourself. Um, But in this period of time that was really challenging, where was God for you? For me, I think, you know, I saved or saved as a Christian in my early 20s and as an early Christian, things were beautiful and amazing and then life just kind of happened and got difficult and I think I put walls up, especially when family members passed away to... God and to people and those around me and I remember loving Jesus and you know being a Christian but I didn't give God a lot of time of day in my life I mean I thought I did but I think I really just wanted things to continue to go the way that we had planned as well Um, so in that season where I was completely dependent on God God was very much there and he was the absolute heir that I breathed. I did not have a closer relationship to anyone but to God in that because I knew it was only God that was going to get me out of what I was in. I cried out to God like I read a lot of Psalms and I praised him in it and I believed him in it and as um, terrifying as it was, I knew that, you know what, God, you are in control and even when I'm so utterly out of control, this season is for an absolute purpose and You know, I remember really early on thinking, I thought I knew what mental health was. I had no idea what mental health was. And I just found myself at a place where I, if me sharing my story or me going through this, Lord, is going to help one person that it's worth it. So I think for me, my reality was, God, you are absolutely my everything. And I have to just, I was in a place where I either said to God, you're going to fix this and I'm with you or I was in a place that I would no longer be here and I don't feel like I really had that option to choose. God just kind of put me in a place that was so totally dependent on him. Amazing. Thanks, Ella. So for you, Nick, in that period of time, and I think Ella alluded to that, just that you guys had a plan and this was a little bit different to the plan that you had and and your understanding and even your family background. So what was going on in you? Where was God in this period of time? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, so we had, I had a plan and it, this wasn't part of the plan, <laughs> what Ella was going through. and um, So I threw everything at Ella from the, when, I, when she started to say, oh, I've gone through this, I, I threw like the stuff that I knew uh, that would try and fix her. So oh, maybe you just need to get some more sleep or, you know, maybe, yeah, go get, the, go get the prayer because I grew up in a Christian church. You go get the prayer. This is a you thing. Um, uh, you know, maybe get, keep yourself busy, go grab some hobbies, get into something. And that just, that wasn't the plan for us at all. Um, that, that wasn't going to fix. In fact, that was the worst thing I could have done at that time. Um, I, I had this, I didn't realise how much expectation I'd put on our family. Like, we needed to be here. We needed to have this success or have, um, you know... It's really hard. Um, this material blessing, I don't know. I had all these sort of like, we needed to be at this point and this 
thing that Ella was going through just took that right back to it needs to be day by day. Amazing. That was yeah. It was it was so hard to digest that. I'm just yeah. to, to, as a bloke, it was just like mm. such a hard pill to swallow. Like that, you're not in control. Yeah. yeah. It, it sounds like there was a bit of surrendering that also occurred, and you were obviously observing and, and seeing what was happening with Ella. And I, I talked a bit about this rug. What, why was this rug significant for you? I don't know. We talked about this when we caught her. Um, yeah, this rug special. Um, you know. Um, Ella would spend some time, Ella would spend a lot of time on this rug praying and she would pray like, God, take this from me. Obviously anyone would pray that, going through such an emotional time, through a lot, um, but she would pray like, God, use this. Like, I just thought that was crazy. Like, in the midst of like the lowest, like the the absolute pits, like I couldn't, couldn't describe it any worse. She's praying for it to be used and I, I, couldn't, I just couldn't understand it, but I sort of see it now. Like we're, I mean, we're, sure, we're on stage right now. That's awesome. But she's been so like, vulnerable early and sharing with people. She doesn't care who you are, your neighbour, your hairdresser, family. She will open up and... That was the best thing she, she did. Like, it was, it's just amazing to me that she had the capacity and the vulnerability to do that. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Thanks, Nick. So there's several sermons uh, during this period uh, at One Hope that you were navigating through this, uh, and as well your community, your church community. Just unpack that. Uh, your church community and as well what you were hearing uh, through your church and what God was saying to you. I remember a few years ago, kind of when this all started, Pastor Matt praying about um, the river and us as a church and individuals about sitting on the banks of the river and that God wanted to take us in the middle of the water. And Nick and I, from an early on age of being a young married couple, but also then as well, we always would bring ourselves back to God. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. Like, there's, we've got to have more of you. There's got to be more than just kind of what we're living And I just remember being like, I don't want to be on the riverbank, God. I I want to be in the in the river. Like I want my life to be to be yours. And in the time that I feel, you know, the messages that were being there was a time where I was sitting at the front, Pastor Matt was praying and I was just having panic attacks the entire service. I was thinking, like, there's nowhere I can go that I'm not having these horrendous intrusive thoughts and having this crippling panic. But I remember early on reaching out to safe people and people that I, you know, had friendships with for years, but also the beautiful deacons and the, the prayer warriors in One Hope. And I remember just being very fearful and reaching out of, you know, what are people going to think? And I'm I'm working as a clinician, as a midwife in hospital. Like, you know, it was it was it was tough. Yeah, the stigma around mental health, um, and I think. The things that really got me through was having support people and the things that really got Nick through was our community of having people to take the burden when me coming home or having a really hard day was too much for him because he was working full-time and managing the house. There was, a, there was a period of like nine months where I couldn't even cook a meal and sometimes it was too much I was offloading onto him and we really learnt 
what does that community look like for us and how can we get through this? And if anyone is going through anything remotely the same of trying to relinquish control to God or mental health struggles, I just so encourage you to find that community. I think about in the Bible and the story of Exodus where the Israelites were going to fight the Amalekites and God said to Moses, raise your hand and have this staff in your hand and if your arms are raised, that was the command to Moses that Joshua and the Israelites will have victory and every time he lowered his arms, the Amalekites would start having victory and that beautiful image where Moses' brother and cousin Aaron and her put a stone under where he was sitting and held his arms up and it was that command that Moses, it was Moses' part in that plan for God to be the one holding that staff up. It was no one else's plan. He was working in and through Moses but his cousin and his brother were supporting him and that is what the church and the community and the friends were doing for us. There's no way we could have got through this if we didn't reach out and say we're hurting like we need help. We have no certainty in our day. We have no idea what I wake up and how I'm feeling. There's times where I don't even want to get out of bed. And God gave us that community and that power to be able to continue to keep going for the kids, for us, for others. And I just, I just encourage people, even if you've reached out and it's fallen on deaf ears, just try one more time because without people and community we're really not able to grow as individuals and allow God to do what he wants to do in our lives. So good, so good. And you do, you refer to us as a community. So even if you could speak to uh, someone today or there may be many that have got a friend or a family member or even themselves that are struggling with, with their mental health, and I don't know, for you, you're still on that journey. Just what advice, or what would you say to them today? Yeah, look, we definitely prayed a lot of prayers of just take this, God. <laughs> this would be really nice if you just took this now. Just heal me. Because we know that we have the Jesus that heals and will miraculously heal. Um, I think it's really important to mention as it was a dark time. And in that absolute darkness and those valleys, God was there. And as much as I wanted God to take it, I would do it all again to now have the intimacy that I have with God. And, you know, that's huge for me because there were times where I just thought if I don't just jump in the water and this end this, this is just my reality and, God, this is no way to live. Um, So I just encourage you. I do. I encourage you, go and seek the supports you need. You know, it can be really scary going and seeing psychologists and psychiatrists and you think oh man you know I was a mum of two kids that were the most precious things to me and I'm like they're gonna take my registration off me and not let me see my children like that is huge and you know what there's probably nothing you could say to me or a psychiatrist if you go through mental health concerns that they haven't heard many a time before I work in maternity and mental health is so prevalent in our community it is more prevalent, it is more common to have someone struggling depression and anxiety and mental health concerns that it isn't. And I think we really need to understand and break off that stigma that, yes, it is getting easier and it is a bit more accepted, but don't do it in isolation and don't do it alone because, you know, it is mental health is very isolating. There was no one that looked at us from the external and thought that I wasn't coping and capable and just doing life fine. 
And I really do encourage people to find that safe person and just tap into what it is, just press into God one more time and just just allow him, just completely give it to him and be comfortable in the discomfort of whatever it is that God wants to take you through because it really is worth it. So for Nick, you are supporting Ella through all that. And I talked about that before. But for someone even today who may be supporting uh, or living with, walking alongside with someone who's battling with their mental health, what would you say to them? Yeah, um, find like have those, as Ella said, those safe people that you can talk to. Because like Ella said, if, if I had heard everything that was going on with Ella's life at the time, with the intrusive thoughts, I would have broken. Like, there's no way I could have taken that on. Um, Seek help. Get your own help as a support too. Like, um, I, I, I saw a counsellor. Like, if you told me a couple of years ago <laughs> that I would be going to see a counsellor, I'd just be saying you're ridiculous. Like, I just couldn't believe it. But yeah, God got me to that place, and you know, did some incredible things. Like, to give me some techniques to even get some affirmation that I was doing the right thing as a husband, um, to have prayer, prayer counselling, like, don't let pride get in your way, like, I'm a terribly proud person, um, but, yeah, I'm glad that I didn't get it, let it get in the way, um, yeah, I'd encourage anyone out there that's supporting you, get, get your help, get, seek help, um, for your, for, yeah, for, for the benefit of both of you, if there's a couple or whoever you're supporting as well. Yeah. Amazing strength uh, that I hear in, in your voice, Nick, as much as I know even today, even getting up here, has been a bit of a journey, but uh, yeah, God has been very present and that's really, uh, really evident. So uh, it's been a blessing hearing uh, you share your uh, role and as well from your perspective, it's important, it really is. So, Ella, today, for those who, again, may be sitting here and there may be people who are suffering in silence, that are struggling, uh, what would you encourage them in terms of your journey and what you have learnt? Um, you know, it's really hard to see a loved one or anyone you love go through something that you can't fix. I think we all have someone in our life that we love and we would want to take their pain. And I think from a really early on perspective God showed me how much he loves me and how painful it is what I'm going through he's feeling that just as deep and he's with me in that and I just encourage you just to just even if you've been feeling like you've given God all the opportunity or you feel like you've sought supports and it hasn't worked I just really encourage you to just one more time just reach out and say you know what God that crazy person on stage is telling me to do it I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you one more time please because I'm at my wits ends because he'll meet you in it like I'm no different to you he doesn't love me any more exceptionally than anyone else he wants to use our pain for purpose and he wants to grow us and he wants to transform us and he wants to give us a life that is able to then flow on and help others and bring others to Jesus Christ so I don't know what people are battling here today. I don't know if you know a loved one or you have a family member that has been journeying mental health for a really long time. It certainly isn't fixed in my life, but I know even if this is my thorn in my side for the rest of my life, I'm okay with that because that keeps me dependent on Jesus 
and it keeps me to be able to really help encourage and support others. Amazing. Thank you, Ella. Thank you, Nick. That dependency uh, is just so evident and we have just been so encouraged, so blessed uh, by your story, by your story as a family and uh, we love you guys, we really do and it's not easy, it's been a journey to get even to to this day uh, today and I'd love Ella as we uh, finish up uh, this morning is even for us to spend some time in prayer and uh, you pray uh, for us as a church community as we journey through this and we're learning uh, and we've we've been so encouraged today but I think these these conversations are important and we know even there may be those that have heard today and maybe need some prayer and need some encouragement need to take a step so I'd love uh, for us to just spend some time praying uh, I'd love for you to do that and I'm going to uh, before that though is there anything else you just wanted to say before we pray Uh, yeah, like um, you don't you don't have to be fixed to be used, you know. Love that. That's great. Well, let's uh, invite our music team, and, and we're going to spend some time praying. Thanks, team. Might ask as well while we stand. I invite you to stand also. Lord, we do we just thank you that we are just in your house, Lord, and we are in your presence, Lord, and despite what we are journeying as individuals and as a church, Lord, that you are deep amidst the valleys with us, God, that you are lighter than the darkness, Lord, that surrounds us, Father. I just really pray, Lord, that you break through in this place today, God, like we know that you can, Father. I pray for those that are grappling with anything, Lord, control, not submitting something to you, Jesus, mental health struggles, Lord, physical health struggles, Lord. I pray whatever it looks like, Father, that you just come around us right now and show us that love and that adoration that you have for every single child in this place today, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you whisper to them, Lord, that this is not the end, Father that wherever you find yourself, that this is a new beginning, that God wants to take you and transform you and heal you in whatever that looks like, whatever situation. And I just encourage you, if you are struggling with mental health, you are not alone. I know it feels lonely, but God made your mind. He made every single part of your being. And the amazing thing is, is that he made our mind to be neuroplastic and our mind can be changed and transformed and healed. And with those wounds and those scars that we might continue to carry on that we want God to take, he will use it just as he used it with Paul in the Bible. That that wound, Lord, whatever it looks like, Father, that we can put that yoke on you, that we can have that ease that you bring, Jesus, but that will also keep us dependent, God. That will also keep us strong, Father. That will also keep us running this race for you, Jesus. I just believe right now, God, that you are touching lives and you are touching hearts right now, Father. I pray that if those of you that need that healing and that help, that you just surrender your hearts right now to God and say, here I am, God, here I am.
Here I am and you haven't done anything, God. Here I am and I need you, Father. I'm giving you one more chance to break through and push in. Lord, I pray that they will show that vulnerability right now and that in that, Father, you will just show them how real and present it is that you are in it with them, that you are with them in the pain, God. You are with them in the valley and in the darkness, Lord. I pray, Father, that those that need to, Father, will seek help that they will find someone, God, that they can talk with. Lord, that they'll come to the front today and they'll receive prayer, God. That they will believe, Lord, and they will have that hope, Lord. When we don't have hope left as a community and a community of believers, we can have hope for those around us, Father. We can help lift the arms, Lord, like Aaron and her did to Moses, Father. It might be our burden that we need to bear, Jesus, so that you can transform us. But we as a community can come around and we can share and help in that burden so that we all can touch you, Jesus. We can be transformed by you, Jesus. We can bring you glory, Father. So I just thank you, Lord, that as what you've done in my life and will continue to do, Lord, that this is no exception, Father, that you have a new beginning for every person in this place, that you have a depth and an intimacy that you are so desiring that they learn and know, because what a waste of a life if we just go through, Lord, and that we don't really feel the extreme depths of your love and that relationship that you just bless us with, that Jesus died for us to have, that He was crucified for us to have, that grace that comes, Lord. So I just pray, Father, that You will come. You will come because because You are just so, so good and You will be in every heart today, Lord. Give them the courage and strength to just seek again, Lord, and again and again.